There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The spirit of Britain is far mightier than the sick plots of depraved terrorists. That is why the terrorists will never win. We don't negotiate with terrorists. That's always been the rhetoric from the UK government. But now the Belfast Telegraph can reveal a senior Tory has been having secret talks with UDA and UVF leaders. Sources told me that these senior UDA and UVF men took part in some of the meetings as representatives of community organisations. That was the cloak under which the meetings happened. NIA First Committee Chairman Simon Hoare held the meetings after a chance encounter with activist Jamie Bryson. If the, the concerns of young loyalists are persistently ignored, then what's going to happen is that that anger is, is going to have nowhere to go. Then you're in the very dangerous territory, and that's a concern. The government's trying to get loyalists to buy into the Windsor Trade Protocol. A group representing the main loyalist factions in Northern Ireland says the creation of an EU customs border under the Brexit deal undermines the union with Britain and, as a result, has withdrawn support for the Good Friday peace agreement. I'm joined by our political editor, Suzanne Breen, who broke this exclusive story. Suzanne, once again, you're very welcome to The Bell Tale. What is happening? What have you found out? Well, a senior Tory MP, Simon Hoare, has held secret talks with loyalist paramilitary leaders in Belfast. And this is happening as British government efforts to encourage loyalist paramilitaries to buy into the post-Brexit trade protocol deal intensify. Simon Hoare is chairman of the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee, and he held separate meetings over a two-day period with the UDA and UVF leaders earlier this month. I understand those discussions were on June the 5th and the 6th, that's roughly a fortnight ago, and they focused on the paramilitary groups transitioning away from organised crime and continuing violence and also exploring what would be necessary for the UDA and the UVF to move to support the Windsor framework And sources told me that these senior UDA and UVF men took part in some of the meetings as representatives of community organisations. That was the cloak under which the meetings happened. 
you, you know, I'm just wondering about the, the purpose of these meetings. And you've said it's about the, the Windsor Protocol and trying to get loyalism on board. And as well as that, and we've heard this word again and again and again, transitioning. I mean, how can you still be transitioning after 25 years? That's, that, that's what occurs to me there as very strange. I mean, uh, who, uh, what really is meant by that? Well, I think in terms of transitioning, a lot of people would think that the whole talk, the, the very use of the word transitioning is really trite. Um, the Secretary of State, Chris Heaton-Harris, said in March that he was considering appointing an independent person to help paramilitary groups transition away from crime and away from violence. But I, I don't believe that a genuine game-changing move would be on the cards. We have been hearing about transitioning now for 25 years, and I think it's an exercise in waffle and wasting time and potentially money. The war in Northern Ireland is over longer than it lasted. And those paramilitaries who wanted to walk away have already done so. Those still active are not going to change their mind by any suit sent by the British government or any um, MP, no matter how senior they are, unless there is money or unless there is some other advantage dangled in front of them. And that's the rotten reality of Northern Ireland and I don't know who exactly the government wants to walk away in the paramilitary world because loyalists and Republicans who were at the coalface of the conflict, they're pensioners now or they're in late middle age. Time is taking care of them. And if we're talking about young recruits in both dissident and um, loyalist groups, well, the answer is quite clearly to offer investment, employment, more education and economic opportunities in those areas. It is not to go and talk to paramilitary godfathers. Now, Simon Hoare, speaking to yourself, has categorically refuted the description of his private conversations as secret talks. Like, clearly, we're, we're into semantics there and we're into, like, if we got the Theosaurus out, we could, we could have a discussion about that. But how has he characterised these talks? Well, he, he he was very, very firm on the matter that he, he disputed my description of what went on as secret talks. He said they were private conversations. He said he wasn't there in Belfast as an envoy sent by Number 10 or the Northern Ireland office. He said he wasn't there to negotiate or to make any offer to loyalists. He wasn't reporting back to anybody. He said, I was there in a purely personal capacity. I am chairman of a select committee. I have no power. And this was a listening engagement by me. So I suppose that begs the question then. Well, well, to contextualise that, we have to ask, well, who is Simon Hoare? We've described him as a senior Tory. We know he's the chair of the NI Select Committee. So what's the committee and, and, and who is Simon Hoare? And is, is he is he this just this normal bloke as he's described himself? Simon Hoare is the MP for North Dorset. Um, he's held that position for eight years. He was... In a little bit of controversy um, two years ago when he tweeted about bonfires 
in Northern Ireland. And that tweet was interpreted as mocking unionists. He tweeted, who knew William of Orange arrived in Ireland with hundreds of wooden pallets, hence the traditional pallet burning fiesta begins. And unionists were very, very angry with him. Um, he retracted his tweet. He said he fully and unequivocally apologised. He intended to be funny, to make a tongue-in-cheek remark. And he drew the ire of Kate Hoey, um, Baroness Kate Hoey now, and Jimmy Bryson, who called on him to resign as chair of the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee. I think Doug Beatty was the only person who accepted Mr. Hoare's apology. Um, Simon Hoare said that his point really was that there were these huge pallet structures going up in Northern Ireland around the 12th and they risked creating um, a, a public health incident. And he also said that putting election posters on them was very divisive, that, that is election posters of unionist political opponents. In terms of the committee, um, the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee examines the spending, administration and policy of the Northern Ireland office and its associate public bodies. And at the moment, the committee is conducting seven inquiries, one into public services in Northern Ireland, another into the effectiveness of the Good Friday Agreement institutions. One is looking at investment in Northern Ireland, another at the experience of ethnic minorities here. Um, a fifth is looking at Brexit and the protocol. There's one on legacy. And then there's the final one, which is on the effect of paramilitary actions and organised crime in Northern Ireland. And I think it's, it's under the latter that Simon Hoare made his journey to meet paramilitaries in Belfast. The committee itself put out a statement saying that he was on a fact-finding um, visit and he was doing so to inform the House of Commons and the committee um, on discussions of paramilitary activity and um, the committee said that his visit was not an attempt to represent it in, in any way. So this is Simon Hoare, a, a, a senior Tory, as, as you've described him. He, he, he has a senior role in Parliament on the Northern Ireland Select Committee. And he comes to Belfast and he meets members of the UDA and UVF. And lest we forget, these are both illegal organisations. They're involved in attacking young people, uh, with sometimes with cudgels. Uh, they're involved in drug dealing. They're involved in racketeering and extortion. This isn't my opinion. This is the simple facts of the matter as, uh, uh, as presented to us by our, by our justice system. I mean, that's extraordinary in itself, surely. I think it is extraordinary. And if we remember all the criticism that there was of Jeremy Corbyn when he was Labour leader. Um, he, he was criticised and attacked for being close to Sinn Féin um, and for being close to Sinn Féin um, during the conflict in Northern Ireland. 
I am just imagining the furore and the outrage there would be if Jeremy Corburn came over to Northern Ireland and, for example, maybe rocked up in Derry and met dissident Republicans there, met members of Saru or met members of the new IRA. There would be absolute outrage. Um, but this is a Tory MP coming to Northern Ireland to meet um, loyalists who front up organisations that are involved in drug dealing, in extortion, in crime and in really coercive behaviour in their own communities and, and, and violence sometimes as well. Violence, that, that the, the attacks that, that have resulted in people's deaths. But that that rhetoric, I suppose, from the UK government, we do not negotiate with terrorists. That's something that they say. But um, I suppose it was that's very rarely the truth. We know that. Uh, Alex Keane, I noticed on Twitter, he said that's a simple fact in Northern Ireland and it always has been that there always have been back channels and secret or private meetings or of one sort uh, or another. And they paved the way to the uh, Good Friday Agreement. So perhaps we're being a little... Uh, I don't think naive is the word, but perhaps this is the reality of the situation, as Alex has said, or or is it slightly different this time? Well, I think um, some unionists and loyalists will accuse those who um, turn their nose up at, at, at Simon Hoare's um, visit to Northern Ireland will accuse those people of hypocrisy. And they will point out that there has been a secret back channel um, between the IRA and the British government, as you say, going back to the 70s. It certainly was in existence at the time of the 1981 hunger strike and continued um, right up until the ceasefires and the peace process. At times it was dormant, but it was always there. So, yes, there may be um, an element of um hypocrisy P- people may say well you know you 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 don't object to um government talking to republicans but when it comes to loyalists that is something different talking is good it is not necessarily about terrorists being accommodated it is just keeping the lines of communication open and we need more not less talking John Hume, of course, reached out and spoke to Gerry Adams at a time when the IRA campaign um, was very active. There were people in the SDLP like Seamus Mullen and Eddie McGrady who opposed what Hume was doing, but generally Nationalist Ireland supported it. And John Hume is now seen as a hero and what he did is seen as a bold, um, imaginative steps and, and, and brave steps at that. I think the difference probably is 25 odd years. There have been ample opportunities for paramilitaries to go away and those that exist have no support within their own communities of very, very, very minuscule support paramilitary figures that 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 stand for election or, or, or their associates don't get elected. I suppose the listeners might be asking, well, would Simon Hoare meet dissident Republicans then? Did he, did he mention that? Well, I, I asked Simon Hoare if he would meet dissident Republicans and engage with them in the same way as he did with loyalists. 
I asked him, would he meet the new IRA? Would he meet its um, alleged political wing, Siru? And he said, yes, he would. He said that whoever in Northern Ireland was willing to talk to him, he would talk to them. Um, he said, I, I will talk to anybody in and around Northern Ireland. You can talk to all sorts of people about all sorts of things. And it doesn't mean that you agree with them. So clearly he has left the door open to dissident Republicans. Um, whether it's one that they choose to walk through or not is another matter entirely. But there's an offer on the table there from Simon Hoare. And I noticed there has been... Um political reaction to the UDA-UVF talks, in particular Saoirse Eastwood. And obviously she's highly critical of them and people are highly critical of her uh, because of that criticism. Have, have you spoken to her? Yes, um, I have spoken to Saoirse. She said it was beyond reprehensible that any MP, let alone the chair of a select committee, would meet with paramilitary leaders. She said that Simon Hoare should be aware um, of the impact of his actions on communities here, that those actions will be seen, whether he intends it or not, as validating some very, very dangerous and violent people. Um, she said she was disgusted that he'd met UDA and UVF thugs, that, that's how she described them. And she also was disgusted with the fact that he was offering to meet the new IRA and Saru. She said it made her feel sick. She also raised the issue of people who, who may want to come to give evidence to the select committee about ongoing paramilitary activity in Northern Ireland. And she said that that, that really they wouldn't, they couldn't have any faith in his committee, that both Simon Hoare's credibility and the committee's credibility had suffered. She said that he has been chair of this committee now for three years, that he should know better and that he was stooping to a new low here. And she she, she differentiated um, what he was doing from um, the Hume Adams talks. For example, she said loyalist paramilitaries have no electoral support whatsoever. They were drug dealers, they were gangsters, they were extortionists. And any time their political representatives had 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 stood for election, um, that they generally hadn't been successful. So she was incensed. I also spoke to Marion Walsh. Um, her son Damien was shot dead. He was 17 years old by the UDA when he was working in the dairy farm in Twinbrook in 1993. And she was absolutely appalled at what um, Simon Hoare had done. She said um, never once had any British MP contacted her, asked for her views, asked how they could help her in her campaign for justice. She said that this was a slap in the face and it was grossly insensitive. And sh she was perhaps not surprised very, very saddened and disappointed. So, Suzanne, obviously, there's there's two main parties then in the in these discussions, these talks, whatever we want to describe them as. There's Simon Hoare, and there are the representatives of the loyalist paramilitaries. So, do we have any feedback from how, how they went? How did Simon feel they went? Well, um, 
Simon said nobody had sent him off with a list of questions. He was there to listen directly um, to the loyalists that he spoke to, people in Northern Ireland, he said, who are angry and frustrated. Um, he told me that, look, what one can read about this in the media, but he wanted to hear from the horse's mouth why they were so annoyed and why they were bitter. He said it was a listening exercise to help inform his understanding of a group of people who were hard to reach. Um, he said he hoped that they would now recognise that there are MPs in Westminster with whom they can fundamentally disagree, who have a different worldview to them, but with whom they can have cordial conversations he described the dialogue as robust, honest and respectful. And he said a conversation taking place is always better than a vacuum of silence. I asked him where it was all going and he said, well, will anything come about of it? Who knows? But if it increases our understanding of our fellow man, then that is something to applaud. And, and another source described um, one of the meetings to me as respectful on both sides. He said that Simon Hoare was very engaging, that he was clearly keen to hear a range of different perspectives. The loyalist leaders present were respectful to him as he was to them. The meetings were held under the auspices of community organisation and the main focus of the talks was on loyalists transitioning away from crime. Simon Hoare, he said, was also interested in trying to understand what it would take to get unionists and loyalists to support the Windsor framework. But it was made clear to him that there was no basis for a return to power sharing at Stormont while the protocol remains in place. Do we have any indication, Suzanne, as to how these extraordinary meetings came about? Well, the meetings were facilitated by loyalist activist Jamie Bryson. He organised the meetings that Simon Hoare held with the UDA, with the UVF and also with the Orange Order, though I have to stress that that Orange Order meeting was entirely separate. That meeting with Mervyn Gibson was entirely separate to the paramilitary meetings. Jimmy Bryson had met Simon Hoare during a conference to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement at Queen's in April. And um, I understand that Jimmy Bryson has been called to give evidence to the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee in September on um, paramilitary transitioning and on ongoing paramilitary crime in Northern Ireland. Um, he was in Westminster last week for a series of meetings with MPs and peers around the ongoing political impasse at Stormont. And sources have suggested to me that there is actually an arm's length back channel on the Northern Ireland protocol between Jimmy Bryson and Downing Street. And that has been going since Easter and, and is totally independent of Mr. Hoare. Well, anyone who follows Jamie Bryson on Twitter will know that he hasn't always had a very high opinion of Simon Hoare. How, how did this possibly change into this into this kind of working relationship? 
Jimmy Bryson has traditionally loathed Simon Hoare, um, as anybody on Twitter can see. He's called him an EU puppet, a Sinn Féin supporter. Um, he has, there are countless tweets that that have reappeared. Um, people have found um, since, since this story um, broke. Jimmy Bryson called Simon Hoare an anti-unionist. He said he was as disliked and irrelevant um, in the Tories as he was with unionists. He called him a menace. He said unionists were fed up listening to his ramblings. He said he was despised by unionists. And he, he actually, it, it, it got very personal. Um, he had talked in the past about Simon Hoare's posh voice, how he sat and stroked his chin and tried to set a serious tone as he pontificated in Northern Ireland. Jimmy Bryson said that Claire Hanna and Stephen Farry effectively told Simon Hoare what to say, um, wind him up, and then Simon would come out and offer all that up, the views of Alliance and the SDLP as Simon's hot takes. And Jimmy Bryson didn't see him really as, as a Tory or a unionist, but as, as a nationalist, as someone who was pro-EU and, and an enemy of Ulster. So Simon Hoare said that he knew he wasn't on Jimmy Bryson's Christmas card list and he that Jimmy Bryson saw saw Simon Hoare as being opposed to everything that he held dear and that he had run a bit of a campaign against him. But they bumped into each other at the Good Friday Agreement 25th anniversary conference at Queen's. Simon Hoare told me that they could have cold-shouldered each other, they could have muttered under their breaths and slipped past, but they didn't. They shook hands and they agreed to meet for a coffee the next day. It was meant to be a 10-minute chat, but it evolved into a two-hour heart-to-heart. The conversations continued and that is effectively what brought Simon Hoare to Belfast to meet loyalist paramilitary leaders two weeks ago. He says that he himself and Jimmy Bryson don't agree on everything, um, but he sees it as them trying to follow in the footsteps of the political giants who led to the Good Friday Agreement, um, people who had uncomfortable conversations and who talked, people like John Hume, Jerry Adams, Albert Reynolds, David Trimble, now, those critical of the process will say that Simon Hoare and Jimmy Bryson are certainly not political giants and they will claim that Simon Hoare has been taken in by the charms of Jimmy Bryson, but that he has really let himself down and these are falling standards and Simon Hoare is delusional if he thinks that he is acting in the spirit of the architects of the Good Friday Agreement. But Suzanne, I suppose a question that people will be asking now, because you mentioned that, you know, Downing Street now have a direct channel to Jimmy Bryson. I mean, perhaps he is a political giant. I mean, we know we know him as a, a blogger, a legal executive, a PR specialist, a loyalist activist. But I mean, if Downing Street are choosing to go and speak and deal with Jimmy Bryson, I mean, he clearly has become a very influential person in Northern Ireland, perhaps even powerful how did he get that power? How did this come about? Well, J- Jimmy Bryson is, of course, um, 
unelected. Um, and, and he does have a huge amount, amount of power um, in unionism and in loyalism in Northern Ireland. And th- this is seen by the by the fact that the chair of um, the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee has been engaged in obviously an in-depth conversation and uh, effectively, you know, let him be kind of in, in charge of his of his diary when when he when he was in Northern Ireland for two days. Let him actually organise these meetings. We saw during the anti-protocol protests that Jimmy Bryson shared platforms with Jeffrey Donaldson with Jim Allister. Um, we see him walking side by side with Jeffrey Donaldson at. Um, Marches, he, he himself has said that he's in regular communication with the DUP leader. Um, I think they, it, it, it's known that they have met for coffee, that they um, exchange texts, that, that, that they do talk regularly. So whether uh, people like it or not, Jimmy Bryson has secured this um, very prominent place at the moment in unionist and loyalist um, politics. And would Geoffrey Donaldson be able to re- to take the DUP back to Stormont without Jimmy Bryson's approval? Well, I think that the relationship uh, between Jimmy Bryson and Geoffrey Donaldson has been one of both sides using each other. Jimmy Bryson is using Geoffrey Donaldson to give himself respectability. Um, he now seems to swan around Westminster to speak to peers, to obviously have Simon Hoare um, listening to him as well. And people will say, do you know what? If Jimmy Bryson is good enough for Jeffrey Donaldson, a very senior and respected politician, a privy councillor, then he's good enough for us. From Jeffrey Donaldson's point of view, um, it helped give him credibility with loyalists, with loyalist paramilitaries to be seen with Jimmy Bryson and to build this coalition against the protocol because the DUP was under a lot of pressure from grassroots loyalists over its protocol stance. So both parties are using each other. The question is, you know, Will it all fall apart? And when divorce happens, who will be the party that suffers? Has Jeffrey Donaldson, the DUP, created a monster in Jimmy Bryson that will eventually savage them? The government's thinking might be in opening up um, an arm's length back channel with Jimmy Bryson that if they can bring him along in terms of any protocol deal, then it makes life a lot easier for the DUP. And and in fact, it could even help bounce the DUP back to Stormont. And that might be why the government thinks that there is merit in dealing with Jimmy Bryson separately. Now, if Jimmy Bryson's message to the government is hardline and he doesn't play ball, then that puts all that to bed. And Jimmy Bryson, as we mentioned, will be appearing before the Northern Ireland Affairs Committee in September. Um, that's clearly, uh, it's big exposure. It's, it's, it's 
quite a status to be taken to Parliament to speak before the MPs. Um, will all of Northern Ireland's MPs agree with that? Well, Jimmy Bryson will absolutely love the publicity of appearing before this committee to give evidence. Um, he was before it before in um, February 2018, and the Alliance Party in particular were deeply critical of the invitation. They said that he was a relentless self-publicist who should not be platformed. And being before the committee brought with it this media fanfare that I, I think was a victory for Jamie Bryson. Um, Alliance boycotted the committee over it. And indeed, just two MPs um, asked Jamie Bryson questions that day. And one, one I, I think Kate Hoey spoke, but um, there was only one positive um remarks to, to towards them. Her colleague, John Grogan, um, said to Jimmy Bryson, you are on the fringe of Northern Ireland politics. And John Grogan actually asked him about some of his electoral adventures and how many votes that he got. And Jimmy Bryson said he got 167 votes when he ran for council in 2011, when he was 21. But he said he spoke for unionists who felt left behind in the political pro process. Um, that session of the committee was looking at devolution and democracy in Northern Ireland. And Jimmy Bryson said he was there on behalf of a, a group called Unionist Voice Policy Studies. And that, that was described as a, a loyalist think tank. The question this time will be whether uh, Stephen Farry, who sits on the committee, and Claire Hanna attend in September when Jimmy Bryson is there. Um, my suspicion would be that Claire Hanna won't be present. Um, I don't know what Stephen Farry will do. He might decide to boycott it as well so that he's not seen as giving it credibility or he may decide to go and put some pointed questions to Jimmy Bryson. Suzanne Breen, political editor with the Belfast Telegraph. Thank you very much. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar. The sound design was by Graham Davidson. The clips you heard were from the BBC and Al Jazeera. When you get an Irish independent digital subscription, you don't just get access to the news at your fingertips. For a limited time, you'll also receive a €75 Euro O'Neill's gift card. So what are you waiting for? Get the whole kit and caboodle. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish Independent. Terms and conditions apply.